the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. People, Leo Phillips here with This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Every single week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this big, gigantic, spongy globe. We talk passion, we talk first concerts, insights into the creative mind during this truly unusual time and everything in the Juicy Centre. This week, I'm thrilled to share a conversation with Simon Neal, the vocalist, guitarist of Biffy Clyro. 19 years ago, Lars, <laughs> I saw you in Glasgow, man. Thanks, you changed for life. Since their foundation in 1995, the Scottish hard rock band have built an incredible resume and an adoring following, drawing massive crowds at festivals around the world. And Simon is often at the front of that charge, almost never wearing a shirt, rampaging his way across the stage. The trio's upcoming album, A Celebration of Endings, was intended to be released in May, but has since been delayed until August. That difficult choice is fitting for the record, which focuses on getting through some of life's most trying, dark moments and the lessons that come out on the other side. In the meantime, I spoke with Simon about how the pandemic will change the future of touring music, sharing drinks with Dave Grohl, getting upstaged by Martin Scorsese while opening for the Rolling Stones, and completely underwhelming Lars Ulrich of Metallica. So let us not be delayed. This is me and Simon. Enjoy and please take care of yourselves. Dear God, adjust my dreams for me. All I learn is instant history. Is this how the surface will break? Releasing the pressure, the heart. 
horrors that await Hell hath no fury like a human born It's only real, you can't replace it And now I'm losing all control Why do I fear it? This is the sound that we I listen to trying to be a lot of true crime things which aren't sure. particularly soothing but, e- but even the act of the the voice the narrator's voice or whatever and just it kind of you're a lot more in the moment and I think the tough thing about music at the moment is it either reminds us that we can't go to like shows or anything and it kind of reminds us that we're not together so it it's some days it gives me strength listening to music and other days I just as you say I just want to switch it off and <laughs> Just go into podcastville and just feel a, a sense yeah. of kind of security or something. It's, it's strange how the human mind works, isn't it? I know because you're looking for escapism, and there's only so much TV that you can binge or books yeah. that you can read before your brain starts to wonder. Like I feel like I don't, I don't know how it's been for you these last few months. Obviously, it's kind of derailed your pre-existing plans of releasing an album. Yeah. So for you, yeah. life changed drastically. Yes, yeah, it's, it's strange. It, it it was very much. It felt like a big, a big foot, a big knee in our. No, I was about to say really, but it feels like something just uh, st- 
stopped us in our tracks and the first few weeks I very much was able to keep it in kind of context because I was like, well, you know what? It's important that people are well, you know, every, every, my family touch wood and I hope your family too are all well. And that was my first concern. And then worried about, you know, I don't have to get up and go to a job every day. So there was a few things I was very grateful of. And then three or four weeks in, I suddenly just lost all purpose. I'm sure, I think we've all, I've heard it described as a Corona coaster. <laughs> so it's like, so it's kind of like, because I'm sure we're all up. like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mind the pace though. I have to say, I don't know if that's like my old age speaking, like, hello, but I, I don't mind the pace of it. I have to say like, there, Me is, there is something. What age are you, Lois? I know it's not appropriate to ask, but are you, I, I've just turned forty. So, are, are you still in your are you in your thirties? I'm thirty. Yeah, I'm turning thirty-five. So, I'm definitely. Oh, congr- like- oh you listen. You, you're a young whippersnapper, <laughs> don't you? Dare mention how old you are, but I know you mean that there's so death. sore. My legs hurt. <laughs> Help me. <No. laughs> In the good old days, I tell you what, you know you're getting old if you start talking about the good old days. The good so just old ne- <laughs> never let that, never Fine. let that come at her. <laughs> oh my God, but I was laughing actually because I watched the other day you did that Facebook Live thing and you had Tina Turner and your little legs were like kicking and I was just thinking like, oh God, he's gone. That's it. He's oh, lost man. it. <laughs> he's lost it, the it's plot. That- <laughs> I spent about t- 36 hours doing Tina Turner impressions and my wife was absolutely, she was so pissed off that she couldn't leave yeah. the house. Yeah, she was so over it. <laughs> oh my Thanks God. for watching that though. Of course, but I also do think that there has been a lot of shit that's come to the fore that I think was bubbling for a while and I'm sure you you can understand that as well. I mean, as a touring musician, you've not had any time to stop and i can imagine this time has been kind of wonderful for you too yeah it's it definitely it it helps just put everything in context a little more and i guess in in this day and age we're also focused on our our purpose you know in life and what we're trying to achieve and productivity and you know and and kind of we're, we're kind of a competitive generation to a certain extent like oh they you know they've worked hard for that well go and work and i think this is a great reset to remind us that actually but the work we do is it, it doesn't nourish us in, in the same in the ways that we've maybe perhaps conditioned ourselves to believe it has, you know. And and I love exactly what I do. I love making music and I love touring. But actually, this is the first time where I've sat at home and, and not had a, a gig on the on the schedule or not had a recording session. And and it's kind of making me consider just you know I'm trying to embrace the things that I actually love. You know, I love writing music, but. But it, it just—I'm just trying to cherish the things that I perhaps have taken for granted. Like even for me, being having to travel a lot, I love—I love being at home for so long. I, I've never—I've never spent. I don't think I've spent six or seven weeks at home oh in about God. fifteen years. You know, and and it's really great and being able to keep a proper, consistent relationship with like my dad and my friends and things yeah. and my my brother and his kids. It's just been. Because normally I'm used to missing nieces and nephews when every time I come back from tour, they're like another year older or something, you know, and there's, <laughs> there's, there's little things like that. And just even with our partners and things. And, and are you are you right in the middle of Chicago then? Are you, when you say you're like in an apartment, is that, are you kind of in the middle of the city? We're not like in the loop downtown, essentially. Okay. And you've, I mean... have you got some out, outside spaces you can get to as well? Like you're, you're all right for that? Oh, yeah. Good. I, I'm, I, the, everything's kind of closed, but 
I can't, we, you know, in South Africa, they can't even walk their dog. You know, that's how the lockdown. Oh, is it that? Or is it proper? Like stay yeah. indoors, not one exercise a day or anything? Nothing. You can't in. go out. Oh. Yeah. You can only go oh, out now hell. between the times of six and nine in the morning. You can't, you can't okay. move around outside at all. So I would probably lose my mind. Because, oh, I know. But also, I, I don't know about you, but when you are stuck writing, like, what what is your process like when you do start writing? Are you the type to hold yourself up, like, squirrel away into this hole and write and then record? Or are you still moving around? Because I feel like this isn't too different to my normal paces and I'm always yeah, kind that's... of in a whole writing <laughs> like well I know and, and you're always but you know you're either doing interviews or podcasting or you're yeah. by yourself but you know you and me in our professions we do spend a lot of time ourselves which which I am grateful for because there's not that same mental switch I do, I do fear for people who are maybe perhaps used to being surrounded by people all the time and that that change from just being socialized and then and then going to be sort of being a hermit so I feel lucky that I do normally write with in terms of I just hibernate. I just, I mean, when I'm at home in Scotland, I normally, I don't, I'm not normally out and about a lot because I'm normally coming back from tour. So I do close the doors, I, I strum on my guitar and I just write songs, watch movies and read books. And the, the, the only thing is during during the lockdown, I've not, I've not felt as motivated as I was hoping. You know, at the start mm-hmm. of the lockdown, I'd, I kind of wrote out almost, not a schedule as such, but I had plans to do. There were three different projects I really wanted to at least start work on and get moving. And and honestly, six weeks later, than when I formulated that plan, and I haven't achieved any of it. And yeah. some days I feel I feel really guilty, and then other days I'm like, well, it is an unusual time. But part of me thinks that because our album got postponed as well, you know, it was meant to be out like last week. Oh my and now gosh. it's pushed till August, so so I think I think there's something in my mind. I have like a hurdle that until this album is is actually released to the world, my mind won't let me move on. So it's almost I'm I'm not sure if it's the the lockdown that's kind of put this mental block in my mind, or whether it's just until the album comes out and then I can move on. But I've very much, uh, you know, I've been trying to learn relearn my violin. I'm I'm trying to be quite cultured. As, much, as cultured as possible. So I'm topping up on violin. I used to play violin when I was younger and I was quite oh, wow. good. So I've been doing violin lessons and trying to top up my French a little. But but what was originally like I was going to do an hour every day, you know, has mm. turned into like I'm doing half an hour every two weeks. You know, <laughs> it's slowing down. But that that urge to to reform yourself or learn something new, I understand that's like humanity's way of you know rebuilding when something breaks down. Yeah. But that's also a lot of pressure, and I don't necessarily think. I mean, I did the same fucking thing. I wrote down a whole schedule, and I'm never that scheduled. Like I have pieces of paper torn and there's stuff around and stuff there's little pieces of paper and notes stuck mm-hmm. in every pocket but i mean if you are trying to be more disciplined that's one thing but it's also a very good time to turn inwards to the people that might not be doing that you know and i think yeah. that spending time with family and looking inwards and you know letting your brain just turn to mush through rotting reality tv I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. There's no rubric for 
how to behave. No. You know, it, it's so... The, it's the first time, even our, you know, I don't know if you've still got your grandparents and everything, but, you know, it's not even relatable to, like, world the world wars that have passed. You know, like, you know, I wish when I was growing up I'd paid a lot more attention to what my grandparents were telling me about wartime. <laughs> but, I, yeah. but as a typical kid, I was like, whatever, whatever, you agree. You know, and, <laughs> and, and now... I, it's almost when you think about the fact that like schools have stopped and an entire every single generation has had to just put a pin in it for the moment. And I, I think I totally agree with you. It's too much. We shouldn't put pressure on ourselves to know what to do just yet because it, it really will be a pre-coronavirus and a post-coronavirus world. And and it will take another year or two before we before we really settle into not not even normality in terms of how things used to be but just even getting into the swing of things and how we we approach each day you know like things like there's no such thing as nipping to the shops anymore you know like you, when you go to the shops it's like a two-hour journey or maybe even longer and and that's fine but we we all need to reassess just what's important how we balance our lives and and i'm totally with you i think if 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 your if your key to getting through this is just to sit and watch some rubbish telly and, and, and just try and kind of numb yourself then so be it you know there's no right or wrong way to do this no, there's no lessons learned unfortunately yeah it'll be a few years when we learn perhaps what the right or wrong way was to to deal with this and and also putting pressure you know a lot of people have had a lot felt a lot of pressure in terms of oh, i need to get healthy mm-hmm. you know educate myself make sure you know reconnect with lots of people and and putting pressure on ourselves and extra stress is so it's such a it's modern exhausting. problem. It's exhausting. You know, have, yeah. It is, isn't it? Do you feel like things will change for you in terms of your relationship with touring? Like because you are such a gigantic band to live touring band, do you feel like that will shift your perspective of we might not tour as much or we might be more conscious yeah. about like our carbon footprint or like how much has that shifted your way of thinking around that? It's definitely shifted a lot. I think with the climate change and everything and, and just the impact that, you know, I've, I've felt really guilty the last few years, how much flying that myself and the band have done over the years. There's been points where we've tried to figure out if there's any other ways we can do certain things, and but there's certain parts of the world that, that we have to fly to. Now, I think, I think, this is a good reset to figure out a way that bands can tour in a more, you know, just a, in a much softer fashion, you know, so, so maybe, you know, we need to look after the, the people, society and the communities. You know, I don't see necessarily bands going on a hundred day world tour anymore. You know, perhaps things will turn into just more special events. I think that is a, great if the traveling aspect slows down and and i have to say it's it's sad to say that it's a really plus side through this coronavirus is how much all the carbon emissions and everything have have dropped and that is wonderful i wish it didn't take this but also the great thing is it shows that we can change so that is i definitely see i don't i love touring I i would be very surprised if any band goes back to touring the way we were, you know, even six months ago. I just think for the sake of the world ongoing, for the sake of the virus, for the sake of just everyone's health, the planet's health and and society's health, I think there needs to be a reassessment. I feel so devastated for, 
younger bands and younger artists and things who because see see those first times and, and as you say you've travelled a lot see that first time you go to a new city and you just like you're taking it all in your excitement oh. through the roof you're you're meeting new people you're mm. exposing yourself to new bands you know especially if it's festivals or something and I, I, it's a, it's like an absolute crying shame that that it'll affect young bands doing that whether it's the the cost of it or or just the na- you know the nature of how the world's changing but. For me, I'm definitely now, when I'm, whatever I create next, whatever we as a band create next, I, I won't be thinking of it as, right, we'll make this and then we'll take it live and we'll do like 18 months of touring. You know, this this album we have at the moment is very much, I had that in my mind that the songs would come alive when we took them on the road. So we will, when, as soon as we can, we will try and get out on the road and play some shows. But I think it's really affected what I want to create in the future. And now, so now when I'm thinking about making an album, I'm thinking, well, I need to make sure that I perhaps got the visual aspect of it, you know, mm. some, some like a, a film of some sort or a few short movies. And I know things like that have been done before with Beyonce putting out a visual album a few years ago and things. So it's it's things that have been attempted before and done really well. But you know what? It's now going to be every single album or, 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 or creative content is going to have to have multiple aspects to it. And actually, it's, it is quite exciting. We're looking at some kind of virtual reality type Ooh. stuff that we can do for, for the release of our album. We're hoping to do some kind of virtual gallery that you can basically walk into each room. You can walk into a room and have a discussion with us about the record. You can walk into another room and see the, the gentleman who did all the artwork for our album, a fellow called Thomas Robson. We're going to put all his artwork up in a room. We want to have... Um, interactive sessions that we've done and then potentially you, you walk into a part of the room and there's like a live performance you know like a full rock show so so we so already you know don't get me wrong I, I, I I'm not a religious man but I pray to the gods mm-hmm. that, that we that we do get back onto stage and that we can experience that com- communal feeling of being as one because I think I do think humanity needs those moments of being together and, and believing in the same thing, you know, there's so much that tears us apart at the at the moment. And I think what I love about music more than anything else is the one art form that really pulls us together in a way that that, that some of the others don't. You know, now I love movies, I love art, I love books, but music is one of the few experiences that even when you're by yourself, you feel like you're a part of something. And I do think that we'll need to share those moments. We need to express ourselves together. But as I say, I, I don't see how things can't change things are going to have to change and 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 hopefully that'll mean people take a lot more time to consider their carbon footprint and things going forward because i know we definitely will whether it's the actual production of the show whether it's the traveling aspect and and now obviously the 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 virus aspect of it also i just have such hopes that we don't immediately just try to put things back to the way they were you know obviously we're going to miss a lot we will all miss a lot about the way our lives have changed. But you know what? There's an awful lot of great things we can grab hold and run with and make better. So what I hope is that the the things we've stopped and the changes we need to make, we can implement. And I just, so I'm actually feeling quite positive as much as it's been a grim time and a lot of our realities have come crashing down. I feel we can build new realities that are even greater. Sorry, that was a hell of a monologue there. I don't think it was a monologue. I I asked you a very pointed question and you answered oh, very honestly. <laughs> That's not. So what was your first show that you ever went to and how were you 
much younger than 14? Like, what was the, do you remember that very first show? Yeah, so there, there's, like, there's two first shows. I, mm-hmm. I think there's, like, the, fir- the first show that I went to with my family that I was forced to go to, and then my first show that I went with my friends. So okay. my first show <laughs> was 10 years old, and I went with my mum and dad and my brother, and we went to see, like, a British rock band called Status Quo. Oh. Now, they're, they're like... A terrible kind of blues rock band, but they they used to tour every Christmas, so they were just one of those like British institutions. So I went with my parents, and and actually I have to say I loved it. I'd, I'd never been to a live event, you know, I'd been to a couple of football games, but so so the racket of that show, I, I definitely fell in love with a con with concerts at that gig. But I was sitting down, I was right at the back of the room, I was kind of distracted, and I was ten years old. Everyone seemed a lot older, so. The first show that I chose to go to was like four months after that. And me and my friend, uh, I sat on the phone for like six hours and I managed to get myself and my friend tickets for Metallica. And it was uh, it was during the Black Album. And it's always that much... I've sometimes told other people that that's my very first show, but I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm divulging the full... Disclosing the full <laughs> sad show. Telling at, you know, the, the not truth. Show. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> But so we were 11 years old. Wow. My friend's dad dropped us off and picked us up. But me and my friend went in and we had the classic, typical child at a show. We had like the Metallica T-shirts, mm-hmm. stickers, badges, you know. And and it was honestly, it was one. It was my. I felt like I'd entered into this world that I did not know existed, especially because it was a heavy heavy metal concert. Everyone was dressed in black. Everyone had long hair. And I, I was just, I had no idea that this kind of thing existed. And so we just stand there. My mouth was open for the full show. I, it was like, you know, a full-on arena rock show. So it was all bells and whistles, you know, which when you're at that, when you're at that age, it's so impressive. It's like a, it's like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie live, you know. So, but, so it, it absolutely blew me away. I remember they opened with like Enter Sandman. And me and my wow. friend, it was, we left the show completely drenched. And I remember leaving that show and thinking, that is, I need to be involved in this. Even at 11 years old, I, I hadn't even picked up my guitar at that point. I was still playing violin. And I think within a year, I'd stopped playing violin and, and picked up a guitar. And I just wanted to make noisy, heavy music. And uh, both, both shows were in Glasgow. Both shows were actually in exactly the same room, which oh, is wow. why my parents parents allowed me to go and see Metallica because we'd been to see status quo and they, they knew it was a safe venue and there was security. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a grimy rock show. Um, so oh. that was, yeah, that was absolutely. And actually I was, this, I really relate this to another story that 19 years later, we played, we played with Metallica in India. And I, I got to tell Lars Ulrich, which didn't impress him at all because it made him feel really, really old. <laughs> but I was like, 19, you know, this is in bloody yeah. Bangalore, some wow. Scottish guy. He probably didn't even know we were the support <laughs> band, but I'm sitting telling him about 19 years ago, Lars, I saw you in Glasgow, man. Thanks, you changed my life. And the, the irony of that show is Metallica didn't even get to play that night because we, play, we played the show. Oh, and in, in, in India, the... Uh, the like security and the kind of safety, the, basically the front of stage barrier wasn't the most, wasn't the safest oh, looking. They, they had like metal, metal poles pointed <gasps> horizontally holding the barrier up. So before Metallica t- took the stage, they abandoned the show because it wasn't safe because people would have been, could have been speared. 
Oh my god, impaled, that but... sounds so like a Game of Thrones way of oh, impaling your enemies. <laughs> it's so it's what it, it was exactly like, I mean it was awful. So so oh. obviously when we were playing the crowd wasn't there wasn't a surge. And then when there was a slight surge for Metallica, they just cancelled it. So basically, oh, we shit. were backstage still, and we get the promoter coming through and going, we're about to cancel this show. You need to leave right now. There's going to be a riot. <laughs> so oh, so we, we went straight into our van, and we got out of there. But our crew and everything were still there. So our crew had, you know, we're the typical fancy egomaniacs that get to leave and get told about it later. But the, the crew had to stand and protect our, our van with our gear in it with bricks and sticks. Not because the, the kids, the kids were just rioting because they'd spent like a month's wages yeah, and getting to this to get show. To the show. And there was, yeah. and, and, and it, you know, and they couldn't even organize it properly for them. So they, yeah, they canceled it with half an hour to go. The kids totally rioted, destroyed the stage, set fire to, to equipment. Our equipment was okay, but we were so worried about our crew. They got back home later and said, look, the kids were actually fine you know the crowd were fine they weren't looking to hurt anyone they just needed to vent their frustration that their that their one big event of that summer or that year had been taken away from them so it could oh. so my full metallica curve of you know seeing them at 11 and then you know wow. 19 years later around 30 odd you know having a sharing a riot with them it was just you know you couldn't make that up that's why that's what keeps me coming back to this music lark you know i love creating but see these things that happen. You you pinch yourself sometimes and go, I cannot believe that this is this has become part of a story I can tell. <laughs> yeah, and I think that it's a, it's so wonderful that you even got the opportunity to tell somebody that you that how much that show affected oh, you. Yeah. But did, when you were seeing them live, did you imagine yourself doing that same thing? Like, w could you envision yourself being, uh, no. being that artist? No, I, I definitely, I always knew I wanted to create things. You know, I, I wrote my first song when I was 12, so I was, I was quite, I always wanted to create music. I, I wasn't that interested in being like, like in, yeah, I wasn't interested in inverted commas being like a rock star. I wanted to make music. So, so and also being Scottish, we're not a very glamorous country. So for me, I never thought I could do what Metallica did. But I'm, I'm more naturally a kind of an introvert, but but I can bring that out of me. So, so no, it was more the creating, the creation that I enjoyed, and the, you know, that was kind of what inspired me to originally, you know, pick up the guitar. I, I couldn't play Metallica songs. I think as much as I liked, I loved Metallica at that age. I, I couldn't play their songs, which is why I guess when like Nirvana came along. You know, for people of my age, I'm, you know, I won't tell you, well, I've told you I'm 40. <laughs> I'm a good few years older than you. But people of my age, you know, like Nirvana was, it was the first type of music that I felt like I, I could maybe do. You know, I, I didn't need to be a virtuoso. I didn't need to play guitar solos, God forbid. I didn't want to dress in leather trousers, you know, and it, it's such a cliche now to say, to say it. But honestly, that those Nirvana records, for someone that was... You know, twelve years old when when Nevermind came out. You know that 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 was the first exposure I had to people not actually trying to be rock stars, just trying to be musicians. And then obviously that led me into a bunch of other stuff. But um, but yeah, the, it's actually the the shows we did our first live show as a band when we were fifteen, and we we skipped wow. school. That we had we there was like a there's. A local venue near where we lived, it was a town called East Kilbride, and it was called 
the key youth club and they always just used to put young bands on every Thursday or Friday night um, and we somehow got a gig we knew someone who knew someone so we were still too young to be in the club but it was mostly it was a youth club kind of thing anyway so we skipped school we we left school at like 1pm yeah. we thought we were we loved you know like we just did an amplifier each we walked in we were playing with a band called Pink Cross who okay. were actually this am- this amazing kind of not quite riot girl group but like a punk rock just really brilliant punk rock and they'd supported Hole at the Barrowlands in Glasgow and and we were like we're playing with a band that played with Hole you know like we, we couldn't believe it even though we were playing to seven people you know and, and yeah. no one even particularly were, were fans of this band you know but for us we, we couldn't believe it so you know we we had a great show we, we played so this is yeah, 15 years old we, we played half of the, the set was our own songs I'd already written like like probably a I mean, I used to write songs and record them on cassette tapes. So, I mean, I've found cassette tapes where I've got like 30 songs from when I was 13 or 14 years old. And oh it, I don't know I don't know how precocious I was, but I, I don't remember being that precocious. But obviously I've been really full of confidence. <laughs> my, <laughs> but you my are wife always, when you're young, you know? That does you happen. are, I know. That's true. That's true. My wife always tells me I used to pass her because um, I've known we've known each other from when we were 15 as well the terrifying oh. thing about my life is, is my band and my wife um, I met them all and we started all when I was 15 so my my no, life took shape at 15 but honestly but oh, I, I, I don't that. recommend it for anyone else I, <laughs> I'm probably the exception that kind of proves the rule <laughs> no that's I mean long lasting relationships that not only like teaches you about yourself but it also teaches you that like you are a creature of you know you need your support and that life around you that doesn't oh, you know that it isn't changing all the time <laughs> I mean your life is so as a touring musician you're one of the biggest bands you know, there's no way that you can have a stable life. So it makes sense that you, you know, that you have that. Yeah, I suppose. I've never thought of that. You're right. It's the fluctuation of, of everything else and never been quite sure what's around the corner. Yeah, you, you'll be absolutely right. That's exactly why I'm so secure. Because loyalty is so important to me. Most of, A lot of my friends I've had from when I was, you know, a teenager and and, and I think there probably is an element of... of kind of consistency that I can, at least I can keep that that can be the backbone and the spine of all I do right. because my work is so so strange yeah exactly. but um, but yeah when I was young I used to give I used to give my wife she reliably informed I would give her tapes of songs that I would sing and say this, this I've written some songs <laughs> about you and when I look back to that I'm like that's not the kind of person I was was I that guy you know like like total fucking here I'm such a such an artist you know here listen to my songs it's so presumptive as well yeah. you know like 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 presuming that anyone, never mind a girl that you fancy, wants to listen to your fucking stupid music, you know. <laughs> but thank you, goodness she, she thank sorry. goodness she stuck around. <laughs> exactly, the the songs must have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, so do you do you have those tapes still? Like how how much of a nostalgic, sentimental fool are you? Like, do you keep stuff like that? Yeah, I do actually. I've stuff with the band. I've I've kept an awful lot because, you know, we never we didn't have friends that ever released a record or went on tour. So even from the moment, even up until we released our first album, we didn't know anyone that released a record. So it was so strange. So I kept. I never expected this to last. I always wanted to make music, and I knew I would keep creating. But you know, we're from the west coast of Scotland. We've got a terrible band name. 
we were really obstinate. We wanted to make kind of weird music when we started. So, um, so yeah, I, I have kept things. I've, I've, I've kept all my cassette tapes from that era because um, I, I used to have like also albums on each side. I'm, I'm a child of the 45 minute, you know, the, the cassette, the 90 minute cassette tape where you would have one album on each side. So I used to fill those cassettes with my own songs, <laughs> like a total, total little fucking precocious set. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but but yeah, I do have that. I have all them. I have our very first demos. We did them um, at school for one of my like a standard grade exam, which is the exam you do when you're fifteen. Like I've still got recordings from them when we covered we covered Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden on a plane by Nirvana, and and recorded like our own song. Like wrote and recorded my own song, which was which was obviously a love song because <laughs> such is my want. And uh, and yes, yeah, I've, I've still got those cassettes. I mean, I mean, I haven't listened to them in, in thirty years, but I, but I think it's I think it's really important. It helps remind me. See, when I'm going through my stuff or I'm looking for something and I find a cassette like that or an old flyer for the band, it just it reminds me of kind of how ludicrous this journey is, you know, and then how lucky. Don't get me wrong, I'm not. It's not just luck that makes you stick around. You know, it's hard work as well, and I, I truly believe we're a, an amazing band. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have devoted my life to this if I didn't think so. But see, when you see something and you think back to, I mean, I think back to me and my two friends when we were 13 or 14 or whatever, doing something, and it's and it's still continued to this day. It blows my mind, and it and it makes me want to keep doing this. It makes me want to remember what it felt like to be a teenager making music and going to these shows. Whenever whenever we play a show, I always want to, I always try and remember that this could be someone's first show. I will, ne- I will never play a show where I don't feel like at the end of it that I cannot play another note because because I want, I want people to, even if it's one person, to feel the way I felt when I went to shows, when I saw a band like Girls Against Boys I saw in Glasgow, in like 96 or 97 and they played this small venue and it, and it blew my mind there wasn't a lot of people there maybe 120 people and they played and they were four of the coolest cats I'd ever seen their music was so fucking good it was so heavy so loud and it stuck with me and, and there's moments I'm sure you're the same there's moments from different shows that stick with you throughout your life but but what I, I never try and forget is that excitement of when the lights go down when a band, even if it's a band you don't know or you don't expect anything of, that moment when the lights go down, it's like, please, you can affect people's lives. Even at this stage of our career as a band, I want to play shows that, that, that can change people's lives, not in this, this overly dramatic fashion, but I'm talking about leaving a, leaving a mark on someone's soul or their psyche or their, their emotions or something, because that's what music did for me. And, and I, I truly believe that when we get out of this this lockdown and, and, and we get start to get on with the next phase of, of this century, then music will find its place again and we'll find new ways to make that contact and that you know have that emotional connection because it is, it's such a human necessity. Um, I've just gone from Girls Against Boys to human nature. But Girls Against Boys, fucking brilliant band. Pause the podcast! It's time to step away from the conversation with Simon from Biffy Clyro ever so briefly to share a special segment. 
We typically like to share our favorite live show or live stream of the week, but we want to continue putting Spotlight where it's most needed and instead highlight an organization we think you should contribute to. This week, we're highlighting My Block, My Hood, My City. The organization offers underprivileged youth an awareness of the world and opportunities beyond their neighborhood, including explorations focused on STEM education, arts and culture, citizenry and volunteerism, community development, and more. To contribute, head to formyblock.org. That's F-O-R-M-Y-B-L-O-C-K.org. As always, the link will also be in the episode description, as well as our essential resources guide available on our social media. If you have an organization you think we should highlight in this segment, please reach out to us at thismustbethegig at gmail.com. But for now, back to Lior and Simon. Enjoy! You started, what, in like 95? I think your first yeah. international tour was, what, 2000 and, 2004 was your first yeah, international right. tour, I think. Um, yeah. So you, yeah. you've had a long run, and I do feel like there's that old trope of, you know, how does a band stay together for so long and all these things. And I definitely think that you built such a cult following because – of the way that you are a fan as well. Like I just see when you are performing, I, I was, mm-hmm. I, it's something that I don't know if that can be taught, of course, but how did you, if you are an introvert naturally, then how did you shift into this way of, I just need to service the song. I've got to just go out there because you don't just stand still. I mean, you're a maniac no. on stage. Like you're a fucking <laughs> lunatic in the best way <laughs> possible. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> when you worry for a I second, think... you're like, oh my God, no. <laughs> I know, yeah, I hope that's not too much of a, yeah, in. No, I mean it in the most in the most wonderful way. Like you are oh, the most you. electric so performer. Your entire band are, and that's what you are, in a sense, known for. So, how did you pick that? How did you make sure that you are comfy delivering? You know the words that you've written, the the riffs that you've written, on a stage where you are performing to thousands and thousands of people, but also make sure that you feel comfy doing it. It, it, it took a while. It took a, a probably a good few years. I mean, maybe even five years of touring before I managed to kind of find the joy. The because when my adrenaline and my nerves are always so so through the roof. Like even now, I still I struggle to control my adrenaline before a show, which is why I think it manifests itself in in like the physicality of what we do. Mm. But on our first few few tours as a band. I deliberately didn't want to talk to the crowd. Uh, we, we used to turn our microphones towards each other, so we would play in like a mini triangle and we would just face each other. We would actually have our am- amplifiers facing across the stage. So so for the first few years, I, I tried to do everything I could to not like communicate or connect with the, with the audience. And and one day, one of my friends, you know, was still like well into the show, still loving playing the music. But for some reason in my mind, it was important to just be head down and show that we mean it rather than trying to kind of entertain. And then after a, after a while, one of my friends said to me, you know, it would be amazing if you said hello or said it's good <laughs> to be here. And, and honestly, it was that it was that simple a suggestion that I started to think, oh, wait, of, of course. Like, how, how can I expect someone to engage with me if I'm not even at least making an attempt to engage with them? So, so for me, 
for me, I feel nowadays, I feel like I'm, I try and think of it as having, and this this sounds like a load of bollocks, but I, it's true. I'm most relaxed when I think it's a bunch of friends that are watching us play and I've, you know, had a few drinks and I'm kind of having a laugh with my friends because I'm, I normally have a drink before I go on stage, which helps. It brings out my slightly more kind of eccentric side. I think I think I struggled for years because I thought I needed to be so sincere on stage. I used to think it needs to be me, who I am when I wake up in the morning, needs to be who I am on stage. And actually that's bollocks. I, like you need to inhabit a part of my personality that has always been there. It's maybe not the most natural part of my personality right. to inhabit, but but I do have like a a bit of a crazy side to me. And I think as soon as I realised, you know, by not, see if I was down on a day of a gig, back before I used to go on and I'd be like, well, I'm in a bad mood today, so therefore it's going to reflect in the show. And then I realised that's not fair to people coming to the show. That's nothing to do with them, where my headspace is at. So there's this kind of, I don't allow myself to let whatever mood I'm in affect the show. Now, I want to look out, I want to make eye contact. As soon as I make eye contact with the crowd, I feel like all my um, worries and things and inhibitions fall away and I feel like it's more about communication. Now, I, I, I now, maybe it's taken a long time for my confidence to build up, but I feel that people coming to the show now want to be there. They really want to share in our music. That's given me so much more confidence and, and I feel I feel like I'm there with friends a lot more now when we initially started, it was a battle. You know, as I say, I almost, I think it was a defence mechanism that I would rather make no effort for people to like our band and then if they didn't like it, it's like, ah, we didn't try. Sure, you know, like we wanted sure. to be weird, you know, and now, and now and then I realise, well, wait, that's not actually how you make a difference in the world or in life or to my life. You know, I was never going to learn anything or evolve as a human being if I was walking on stage with the doors closed and the blinkers drawn, you know. So... It's something Very that I've learned. of you. I have to say, like having that perspective, there's a little, there's so much humility that you have just in the way that you approach it that I think definitely comes across to an audience. Well, it's, it's so important. The thing is, we are, I think in this era more than anything, we've figured out we're all the same. Some people are good at some shit. Some people are good at others. And, but you know what? No one's as fucking special as they think. Like, not to sound like a bloody communist here, <laughs> but you know, we're, we're all roughly the same. No one is a fucking god. No one is better than anyone else. Just because you've got 100 million followers or you take a good picture or you've got a fucking beautiful voice, right. no one's a superhero. There are the odd exceptions that prove the rule. Don't get me wrong. There are some wonderfully special people out there. But if anything, I think... It just shows that actually, see if you work hard at something and you care about something, you can you can achieve whatever you want to. And it's, it, you know, and, and as I say, I know that there's exceptions to that. And I'm sure anyone listening to this will think perhaps that was, maybe that was a bit of a ridiculous thing to say. But we are, we all start from the same fucking starting point. We all fall into the earth, we'll fall out into the world and, and we're taken on a mad fucking journey. Some people are... Absolutely, you know, watching the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. He, Did you, you know, watch it's it? wonderful. Yeah, lo- I loved it, and oh, but I don't like it. the guy anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't <laughs> like him anymore, but I still admire. I admire him more than I did, but I don't like him more than I did. 
I mean, I I don't know how like the rules of basketball. Uh, my husband's like six seven and this like oh very tall, like lanky, um, ghost of a man, and he knows a lot about. Obviously, he grew up in Chicago, so for him, basketball. I mean, I I know what you mean about not liking him, but the shit that they went through, there were so oh. few rules back then. He was beaten down and pushed. And the you know really, really physically hurt. Michael during... Jordan had to be the way he like he started out as as kind of I mean I know he's an insane talent he's and he's maybe one of those examples where he's not like the rest of us but he grew up with a severe competitive spirit competitive edge when he came in no one gave him an, him an inch there was no such thing as a, as a basketball superstar or the your signature shoes. You know, things like that, like he ushered that in and he forced that to happen through sheer force of will and talent. But you know what, when you hear him talk about it, he had to play mind games with himself to be such an all-time great. You know, he had to make these battles up, you know, make these slights that didn't actually even exist to give him the motivation. And that shows that he needed that. He wasn't just someone that woke up in the morning and kind of had it, oh, I can just float through today and be the world's greatest. He had to find a way to motivate himself. Do you feel like you had to do that too? I think at this stage, at this stage I do as a band, I, I feel I feel very lucky that, you know, we've had a couple of number one records. We've, we've couple. headlined a couple. You've had loads. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, thank you. It's, you know, we've, we've achieved some things that I never thought we would achieve. So it, my work now is is to remain, to kind of put that to the side and not worry about trying to achieve that again. Not worry about well, I hope this album gets as many streaming numbers or sells as many. Like to me, I'm try, my job now is to try and make it solely about the the art and the songs and the music and the creativity, and then I allow the stubborn, the other stuff to kind of penetrate. I think that it's kind of a similar way to Michael Jordan. Like he, he needed to make sure that what was happening in that basketball court, as much as he was nasty to a lot of his teammates at certain points, he needed to make sure that what he had control of, he was, which was on the court, worked. And then everything else stemmed from that. You know, his success in the court, everything else built from that. And that's how I kind of feel about the band still and, and how I want to view it. You know, as I said earlier, I still want to feel excited I'm still feel excited about other bands' music. I want to make sure I feel that way about our band. I don't want to ever have to contextualise what we do and say, well, you know what, we made this record, it was our, it's our eighth record, and the reason we did this was because the last four records we did this, it's like, is it any good or not? You know, see if you have to explain why something's good, it's not that fucking good. <laughs> you, know, and, and that, you know, and that's kind of what I, I don't want to ever be making music where I feel like I have to explain at this stage of our career why it's good. It's like, no, is it good or not? The same way you judge new music, it's like, is this any good? Do you like it? Cool. If not, move on. But but I, the main thing is I fucking like it. So, so that's <laughs> so all like, that like matters. Michael Jordan, exactly. I, my, my, I've definitely got a bit of a control problem. You know, I'm sure Ben and James probably, you know, I'm a little bit of a control freak, but I also truly believe that when you have a vision for something and you feel so strongly, you kind of have to maintain that vision. I'm... I'm I'm a true believer in democracy, but see, in art, artistry, sometimes I think that, that being a fucking dictator can, is sometimes to, brings some amazing results. Because when you when you see when you have a vision for something, you have to see it through. Sometimes now, not all the time. I'm, I don't write every single Biffy song with "This is the way it has to be," Ben and James. But 
there's points where I'm like, I know where this is going, guys, you know, and, and I'm excited about it. And I'm like, I, I see it. I know how we can get there. So just trust me, follow me, you know, come on this journey with me and we'll get there. So so I do think you have to be selfish about certain things, but it has to be serv- in service to the right instincts and the right spark. Sure. It shouldn't be about money or, 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 or about trying to maintain that, that's what I always find about any actor band that's going on for so long, or director, anyone, film director. It's like the battle becomes, do you try and just maintain your position and, hey, play it slightly safe and you're kind of just going on, but you know you'll be all right, not taking too many risks? Or do you just go, fuck it, we're lucky to be here, Let, let's do something that actually is a chance, that actually might, maybe we are putting our foot in it here, maybe we are doing the wrong thing, but you know what? I would just always, my instincts are always to kind of take a bit of a risk and, and, and to feel slightly uncomfortable. I think if you feel un, ever feel too uncom- too comfortable in what you're doing professionally, especially in the creatives in the creative world, then you know what you're probably not doing a, a great job. If you're ever too comfortable, you have to step back, you know. And and I love I love artists like Jeff Koons and Damien Hurst and stuff. See see when see when you find out there these guys have got like a hundred team group of people making their artwork it kind of loses me slightly because at that point I'm like okay okay well it's a different thing it's just commerce doesn't mean it doesn't have value but you know what it's a shame when something does lose that does lose a bit of shine when you realize oh this has been done by a committee you know a hundred people have decided have made this it's maybe not quite as pure and you know and maybe this is an old-fashioned attitude and maybe I need to evolve my opinion but I do love the thought of someone sitting creating something with a vision and it, and it kind of comes to fruition whether that's yeah, you know the, the new Fiona yeah. Apple record so, sorry to sorry to spout but the yeah. Fiona Apple record like she she has fucking sat where might she's obviously written loads of songs over the years and she has made a fucking masterpiece that is entirely uninfluenced by anyone from the outside and you can hear that in the record she's made right down to the artwork and I love it I think that she's made one of the truest um, expressions of art this this century. To be quite fucking honest, I know, you know, I know Billy Eilish and all her. that's amazing. But but Fiona Apple's she's made a record that doesn't really sound like anything made this century. It's not trying to be poppy. It's saying an awful lot. The lyrics are so spectacular, fucking spectacular, and 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 I just I love it. It's such a singular vision. So that that's kind of. What I mean that if she went in with like a big fancy producer, or she didn't record it in her home, or she would have had a, a committee of people giving opinions, it wouldn't be such a singular piece of genius, to be quite honest. You know, so so that's um, so yes. Anyway, yeah. Fiona Apple all the fucking way. But like with your new album, what was that challenge that you then had to work against? Because I don't not to say that every album you're trying to shift the mold but was there something mm-hmm. particular that you guys sat down and thought we don't want to repeat this or we we just there's habits that you didn't want to continue to to do was there anything like that involved yeah i mean to be honest in that situation it's it's all about instinct so sometimes i, w- I wouldn't even take a song and to to Ben and James to play because I might just think, you know what, to myself, this feels a little bit too similar, like I'm echoing something from 10 years ago. The, the main the main spark in this record for me was definitely the lyrics for the for the first time. Nor, normally it's the music sparks it and then it, and then I kind of, like I'm going through an either, you know, the lyrics are kind of fed from two years of my life and I'm normally 
you know, I wrote an album. My mum passed away during the making of her album Puzzle, or rather before that. So that album was about oh, recovering so from that. But, oh, don't, don't be silly. That was a long time ago now. Um, like, the, our album Only Revolutions was about when I just got married to my wife and it was like changing, changing that part. And then so, and this album for the first time was kind of more of an outward looking. I, I felt like since... The world, ha- or the leaders of the Western world, certainly are so heinous compared to w- what we should expect, and maybe we've been spoiled for a long time. But I, I feel like the things that I grew up and my parents taught me growing up, like honesty, empathy, community, you know, skill, knowledge, you know, just things that I presumed that everyone would always agree were were positive. Things I feel like in the last five, ten years, they've been eroded, and suddenly you have to debate with someone why the truth is important, or you debate with someone about why having empathy for your neighbour is important, about why, you know, some, you know, like if you can help a stranger, why wouldn't you want to help a stranger? So, so, and especially in the UK, because we've got, we've had Brexit to deal with, it's been we've been trying to close out this outside world. So my lyrics initially were about. It was actually about feeling like we'd hit the lowest point and that, we're, and that we're coming to the end of something kind of slightly dark and then about to kind of bounce off the bottom and come up and see a new dawn rise in a, in a good way where, we, where we, we finally run these pricks like Boris Johnson, Donald Trump. We finally run them out of office. We finally restructure government in a way that means it can't be manipulated by these fuckers. And actually, so, so I, I had real a real... Uh, golden glow in her mind about the future. You know, I felt I felt very positive, and then this fucking <laughs> this virus happened. And actually, you know, obviously it's it's through what the songs were about for a loop, but I still feel that we're in the same position. You know, it maybe maybe this is the reset we need. This album is not about coronavirus. It's not about this this specific era, but it's about getting yourself through one of the darkest times that you could have. And being a better person for it, you know, not to go all cliche, but what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And, and I do, you know, I'm sure the great Demi Lovato or someone <laughs> sang a great song about that. But, you know, there's, it, 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 who it wasn't Demi Lovato? Who fucking um, sang that? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Oh, um, Kelly, Kelly, what's her name? The American Idol lady. Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. I feel like she's, I need to listen a, to that song. She's a muse for me. She's a muse for me. It doesn't kill me. me. But I honestly believe that. So that, that's so, so it was kind of the lyrics were the were the the initial drive for this album. And then when we were in the studio, whenever we work in a song, if we work in something and it sounds like it's a bit too safe or something maybe I, I would think of a better word than safe but a bit too conventional right then we always throw some throw something weird at it so for people who might not have heard you before what what do you feel should be their first like Biffy Clyro experience like how do because I also love your covers like as a fan I've always loved the covers that you've done, but oh, you. I always look at your live <laughs> shows. Like you've got so many YouTube live shows, it's ridiculous. So that's what I would probably yeah, suggest no. people to go to. But for people obviously that won't be able to hear the album until August and just hear some of the new tracks, 
is there anything mm -hmm. or maybe is there a song a new brand new song out of the three singles that you've released that you feel is a very good testament to who you guys are as a band now I think, see, to be quite honest, I think the, the three songs that have been released from this record, Instant History, End Of, and Tiny Indoor Fireworks, they, they, to a certain extent, really encapsulate what we do as a band because we are, the song End Of is kind of like a, a, a massy kind of punk rock song, but a singing falsetto. So everything we do is slightly off kilter. And, and I always want to be that, you know. The, the the song Instant History, which when we play it live, believe it or not, what we what we use drone pedals. So it, live, this song sounds like a sun song, you know, like the drone the oh, drone metal project sun. sun. You know, but but on, on the in the recording, it sounds like you know like an almost a dance song. So I think those three songs are a good place to start. You know, the the, the record. I mean, I guess our, our most popular in terms of most sold record would be Only Revolutions, and that's probably our most one of our easier records to kind of fall into. But what I would say is every single album we have, it's it's always rooted in a three-piece heavy rock band and we just fuck with the format. Every like One of my favourite things whenever we make a record is that I love to make the first song be as unsettling for either the pre-existing fans or anyone that's new to our band. You know, our, our first album, our very first album, we started with a really, really quiet piece of music when we were more of a rock band than ever. The second album started with just screaming straight away, just straight away we're screaming at the start of the song. The third album, we had a dance loop. The fourth album, we wanted to make, like, it sounded like the CD was skipping. The fifth one, we had a, a huge, long drone that went on for 90 seconds without anything happening. Wow. And the last one, we have we did like this. So, so it's little things like that, I think. There's a Biffy album kind of for any mood you're in. <laughs> and maybe that's a cop-out to say that. But I do think, you know, if, you, if for anyone that doesn't know our band, you know, you can kind of start with any record. The, weirder, the weirdest records to maybe not start on is probably Vertigo of Bliss and Infinity Land. Now, they're, they're two albums that I'm, I'm very, very proud of, but they yeah, potentially are quite that. intimidating records. Right, right. If people don't know you who know, I you think are, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think if you're if you're depending on what kind of stuff, if you like more abrasive stuff, then I would start probably with Infinity Land and Vertical Bliss. If you like big ass, the classical fucking rock songs, then I would say Only Revolutions and Puzzle. And if you like stuff a bit a bit more off the wall, you know, like Opposites or Double Album. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we made a double album. We are that <laughs> bad. <laughs> but, but yes, it's, it's, but there's plenty of places to start. Um, you know, in the live thing, I think everything, every album we've made and the songs we make, sometimes on the recording can sound quite, you know, all over the place. When you see, if you watch a live recording of us, you'll very much find out what our band's about. So I, I do encourage people to check out any kind of online uh, online shows as well. We are uh, we love to play. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of like our our natural natural sense of being, you know. And it's such an extension of the songs. It's, you know, just to go back to our, the opening of our conversation, I do find it strange to have this album not be able to have its next logical step, which is it, they become living, breathing songs. They they start to exist out with the album, and they start to exist more in in people's experiences and in people's memories. And, and I think when you remove the live show, it, it lacks that little bit of next step. So, so you know, it's a weird one for me. I feel like the album hasn't, you know, it's obviously not out yet, but 
it needs to come to fruition. So once we actually are able to step on stage at some point next year. You even mentioned earlier about your own name, how it, you don't really like your own name. But I feel like <laughs> Biffy Clyro, when I heard about you so many years ago, I think I was living in London at the time because I lived in London mm-hmm. for a, 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 just a short stint. But Good. You've been I, everywhere. You've been everywhere. I don't know. So have you. You've also well, been yeah, everywhere. Well, yeah, but not left. No, left sure. everywhere you've got But I feel like the support slots that you've played over the year and had, you know, the mm-hmm. bands that you've had support you have been incredibly mm-hmm. iconic. Like just looking at the list from all the years, there's like The Who and Red Hot Chili Peppers and I don't know, God, who yeah, else? Well, the, Rolling Stones? The Stones, you two, you two supported you two? us one time. What? We supported Metallica, Guns N' Roses, all, all my childhood heroes and and even more, like we were lucky to play with the, the Foo Fighters and things and, and Queens of the Stone Age. And there's definitely moments, I think I touched on it earlier, see those moments yeah. when, you know, I mentioned about men seeing to Lars Ulrich about a gig, but see when you're sitting getting wrecked with Josh Holm or or, your, or Dave Grohl's, you know, giving you a whiskey, you know, before a show and he's he's trying to play, like, you know, Dave Grohl was trying to play us the new Foo Fighters album before it came out, you know, and, and we ended up not hearing it because we had to leave. But just oh, little no. things like that, you know, th- there's these moments where you just kind of, you kind of get a, get a glimpse from perhaps, you know, outside your own perspective, you get a glimpse of it from like above and you, you just, it, it freaks you out. But kind of in the moment, you're kind of in the flow of it all. And so even we were lucky enough when we played with the Stones, it was like Martin Scorsese was at that gig because they were about to start filming what? the Shine a Light movie. So oh so that we had to step aside for Scorsese to walk in and meet the Stones just before we <laughs> met them. And there's little, there's little things like that where you're like, oh, my God. What, what, what brings the most satisfaction for me is, is that it's myself and Ben and James. We're, we've been friends from when we were like 12. We've been in the band from when we were 15. And really, three fucking teenage, you know, we were just like any teenagers just wanting to make a racket. And what we've decided to do, we're that age, ended up we were getting to meet these folks. So that, that it always kind of, we crack, we laugh so hard. About about shit because we've normally made a joke about these things in advance. You know, it's, it's even you're, you know, it's quite something if you're standing in the middle of the Rome Olympic Stadium about to play with with the Rolling Stones and fucking Scorsese. You know, you, you never forget these moments, but but it doesn't always feel real. You know, like it doesn't necessarily. It always feels that we dip our toe into these ludicrous moments, but then we come back to being like a proper fucking band. You know, right. it's a weird. <laughs> You know, it's probably slight punk rock guilt because I grew up in like, you know, you know, kind of underground stuff, and I certainly went through a phase like we all do in my late teens, early twenties. You know, if if anything was popular, I wasn't interested. So I always have this little battle with myself. But but you know what? It, it, to, to kind of have been able to tick a few things off, like a, almost a bucket list type thing. You know, to, to call people friends, and I got to play. At the, uh, the European MTV Awards a few years ago, I got to play C- Crazy Train with Slash for Ozzy Osbourne, who was sitting watching us. And, and I mean, like, I we didn't do Ozzy. a great. <laughs> we did, oh, he's fucking such he's a nut job, you know. He's such and, and, a nut. Oh my god. He is, isn't he? But, um, it's, it's, there's moments like that where you, you honestly can't believe it, and and it, mm. and it, 
you know, th- those those moments happen every every now and again, and, and you really get ripped out of your reality, and suddenly you you just feel like you're a young kid standing on a stage with like someone whose poster you had in your wall for fucking years. Um, no, so it, it, it's, it's incredible. You've had that effect on people too. You know that, right? Like people who there are bands that are speaking of you in the same light as well. Well, I mean that that would be amazing. I always take that kind of info with a pinch of salt but but if we did and if we do I, I do it means the world to me because i i know that's that's when it blows my mind if, if people love our band that much or are into it or, or we've inspired someone to either pick up an instrument or to start singing or or anything or just to believe in themselves because you know that's the most important part of doing anything in your life is you've got you've got to enjoy what you're doing first and foremost and then you can and then you can do something to the best of your ability but but you know i'm not a, i'm not a big fan when it comes to music and that of, of having like a, a five-year plan you know because sure. i think i think sure. you know it's it's too it's too limiting and then you, you put pressure on what you're creating and and not everything not everything that's created in the world needs to be um accepted by huge swathes of the population either you know some some things aren't intended to be consumed in a mass way some things are but you know everything has a place and and but yeah just really it's just the fact that our silly little band ended up in these positions and i, I do um when i see people with biffy tattoos or lyrics and things that 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 still blows me away you know i never i'll never get bored of that you know it's still i cannot quite believe that something that i would write or sing would would resonate with someone enough that they would get it tattooed in their body because I know what my tattoos mean to me as well. Yeah. So, so, um, what is so the, yeah, so it, what's the craziest thing you've seen from a fan? What's the like most you would never thought that that would ever happen to you on that level? See when you, see when you see your face tattooed on people. That's no that's quite your a, face. Yeah, that, honestly, face and there's some really <laughs> good ones. If you actually. You could maybe Google it. There's, there's a couple of really amazing ones. Oh my god! Can there's I a couple. It there's now? a couple not so good. There's a couple that are not great. And when you see <laughs> when you see them, you can sometimes be like, oh right, either I honestly look like that, or you poor soul. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why am I so? Out. Why is my mouth sagging? Hold on, wait. Let yeah, me, exactly. This, wait, your face, your actual face. This actual face on people either like the DMs or the tag is in the shop when they get their oh tattoo done. God. So I, I used to I used to spend you know be a lot more kind of online and things during the, the this virus. I've not actually <gasps> been doing much social media for my mental health, but but oh, yeah, people good. normally tag us, and uh, and it, it blows my mind. But when you see it in real life, if someone's waiting to meet, meet you after a show, yes. and sometimes. You'll also get the, can you sign my arm or draw my arm? I'm going to get it tattooed right now. And that always freaks me out because the pressure on what I'm about to draw is immense. <laughs> but but also, it's like, it's such a ludicrous thing to do. I want to say, wait till tomorrow and double check. You really, it might have been a good show, but you want to make sure it definitely was that good a show, you know? <laughs> no, but listen, you understand fandom on the same level. Obviously, you are, yeah. you are a wonderful soul that, really understands what you do and loves what you do and appreciates and are grateful for what you do so i know that that might seem nuts but 
the things that people need it's like those people who keep i don't know you know those wristbands that you get at festivals i have friends who like keep them on revolting and they're dirty as hell but they keep them on for years or yeah for years like why do we keep those things like why do we have posters on our wall or beg the bands for set lists or you know yeah a guitar picker yeah you're right it's it's it's, it's something little, it's, it's like a memento because time for humans on not to sound too philosophical but time mm-hmm. for humans is a non it's this it's the it's an it's a non entity because you cannot you cannot understand it so we keep those things you know those little yeah that we like, can understand you right like a total like little totem exactly and, like look at your studio I don't know what your studio looks like or the space where you write but I can mm-hmm. only imagine that there must be some personal things around you to remind it's oh, a little yeah. reminder of who you are as well. I think yeah, I don't absolutely. Know if it's that way for you. And uh, absolutely, I think it becomes more important as we get older because we realise time contracts and stretches so much over our lives. You know, you think you have a, you think you have a, an idea of what a year is, and then and then oh some years can fly like that. Some years can take a while. But yeah. you know, I think I think it is as you see as you get older, you, you want to kind of almost make chapters in your life to, to a certain extent. You know, it makes more sense when you kind of think of phases of your life and and when you have those little mementos and totems and, and memories to go along with it and then it does it just makes more sense and we can deal with who we are i think it helps us discover who we are as well because you never we're always in a search to find out exactly who we are but you, i don't think even to your to your dying day or your dying breath are you quite sure we're always we're still always searching as people I mean, and, I'd hope and so. it's just yeah, I yeah, well, we do. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I guess we'll know at some point, and by <laughs> that point, it'll be too late. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's like we're always looking for something, and I do think it's, uh, I do think it's so so special. I, I, I love that. I love when you when it's someone because you get to know someone better. See, when someone lets you know what they that they care about or an important memento from their life, I feel that you, you kind of get that a little layer under, you know, and get to know them on a deeper level. It's because it's what makes people tick as much as as much as who they are. You know, like decency and, and someone being, you know, being decent to talk to and, and is so and nice and pleasant yeah, is, is important. But but it's when you get in, it is so, and those little details are really. The defining characteristics of us all, because I always I used to think that there was such a thing as a normal person as well. And you know what? The older I get, I realise we're all pretty fucked up. We're so, all unique, so and no up. no one is normal. You know what I mean? We are though. It's like no no one's normal. I used to think, oh, I he's not. You know, I want to go and play music because and other people, I'm so unusual and unique. And actually, it's not. It's just circumstance allows us to do different things. And and but we're all quirky as fuck. You know what I mean? It's like. But I mean, the guts guts that it takes to talking about mementos and things like that, I suppose your albums serve as a placeholder as well, right? Like there's there's these times in your life that you can, if somebody, if you didn't want to talk to somebody, you could just hand them your album because it would be indicative of that time in your life. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's that's so important to me. That's that's almost the the defining characteristic which is why we still kind of do things slightly old school that we're like an album every couple of years because i want to live i want to write an album about what i've been going through in that two years i want it to be reflective and in 10 years time i can look back and 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 
not not that I fucking sit and look back and analyse myself, but realise what headspace I was in during a period of, of my life. And, and I think they are my milestones. You know, my songs are, are help me kind of understand who I'm becoming, who I've been, you know, at points where I've been been kind of unfulfilled and other points where I've been so full of joy and belief and self-confidence and and I think we all we all document these things in different ways but I do feel lucky that I get to express myself through the form of music you know it's in and see for other people to care also like it still blows me away and, and when people people care about how I'm expressing my feelings or that you know that that there's an element of trust, people. You know, especially a band like us that's been around a little while. It's no longer, it's no longer just oh, that's a cool song or a cool video or a cool haircut or whatever. It's like, it's like we're now a part of people's lives. Hopefully, you know, I still want new people to discover our band, obviously. But see, when there's such a trust level when you've been in people's lives for ten years or longer, and 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 I do and I do take that seriously. You know, I, I do. It's, um, I love what I do, and I, and I have a incredible amount of joy and fun in it. But I take it, I take it seriously because it because it's important. It's important to me, and I and I want it to be important to other people. Yeah, and I hear that. I definitely do. I hear it in your music, and obviously, just like the short time that we've chatted as well. But where, mm-hmm. so where is the celebration of endings? The upcoming album that you have, where does that fall mm-hmm. into place? What did you? What are the things that you went through in that time? That you felt needed to be documented. For me, it was it was the first kind of more outward-looking record. The, the, the kind of spark of it all just came from feeling like the kind of the world around me was suddenly not something that I necessarily agreed with. I always felt even when there, there was bad things happening, whether terrorism or, or you know governments being dishonest, I always felt there was a there was a, a, a base level that we were all work, operating from. And I feel that in the last five, ten years, that base level of operations has kind of moved and it's actually gone a lot lower and a lot grimmer and a lot deeper and a lot muckier than than I I ever thought it would be. So so it's just, so this album, it's about me kind of discovering, I guess, my my confidence as a a man in this world. I'm aware that I'm a, a white man. I've been very lucky through my life that I've had more opportunities than I've been aware of, but I'm very aware of the opportunities that other people haven't had now. And I want to, you know, I, I, I just want to grow as a person. And that, that's what this is. And, and that's what this album's about. It's about becoming a better adult, you know, and becoming a, a decent part of society. So and like, not shedding, being... like shedding yourself. And yeah, and, I, and actually... Right. Feeling like you're an important part of society, that's what it kind of feels like. Feeling like, yeah, maybe have something to offer rather than mm-hmm. just going with the flow, with the status quo of it all. That's what I feel like. I feel like I, I, I can make it. We can all make a difference. When you look at Greta Thunberg, you know, it's a 16-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. I think she was 15 when she started. Mm-hmm. And all that started with was her taking her Fridays off from school. And, the, you know, and she's turned into one of the biggest icons and most important minds and voices in the world. You know, and, and that, and she's still only fucking 18 or 19. No, that, that's ridiculous. That, like, what have mind, you done know, with your life? Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, it, and it does, it does give me faith for that. Because that generation, you know, what they, they've had to deal, contend with an awful lot. Never mind the sort of climate change and that their, their kids, if they have kids, are never going to have the same opportunities that we have or that they had. And then we've got this, this virus thing as well. And I think, I think I've got a lot of confidence in, 
and that when these this generation takes actually control of things that will find a, an effective fulfilling way to move forward and that that's kind of what the the album's about as well is to a certain extent I, without sounding completely morose and too dark see a lot of these old racist white fuckers that are close to dying i can't wait till they're gone i don't wish illness or badness on anyone but see there's a there's a generation that are just holding on for all they can to the remnants of their reality and once they once they can rescind their grip or relinquish their grip the world is going to be in a much tighter better path but we're just in the, in the yeah we're in the remnants of the last century and you know what i can't wait till that the remnants just fucking get blown away blown away in the breeze you know and i don't want to be a remnant you know as i say i know I'm very lucky as a white man in an all-male rock band. My God, on paper, I'm part of the problem, but we're not. You know, we want to. We want. To, you know, I'm just very aware of my position in the world now, and there's no ignorance. There's no. You know, and it's it's about as you say, shedding skin, appreciating we're in a new reality, and I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of building something amazing, and and you know what, we should celebrate at the at the end of a lot of shit. We're we're, we're managing to finally, hopefully put things like you know I watched I watched a documentary the other night of the race for the White House and it's talking about JFK going up against um, oh who was it I can forget who it was but anyway like JFK like, there's no Catholic had ever it. been in a it's it's on it's on Netflix it's called Race for the White House and it's it's just a CNN show it's, it's okay. quite entertaining as a, you probably it's probably more common stories you know, if you've lived in America, perhaps, but I didn't know a lot about it. But JFK gets shit for being a Catholic and all that. And, and it's like things that now are so, incon- you know, you wouldn't even imagine that really so much anymore. And I hope, I can't wait to racism and sexism and everything is just, it's just in the rearview mirror. And we should celebrate the end of that shit. We should celebrate the end of it. You know, and that's, that's why I, I don't want this album to be, feel like, it's like a, a almost a downbeat record. If anything, it's the opposite. Like it's it's the celebration part that I want people to focus on. And and it's interesting because the, the title, a celebration of endings. My friends and things have reacted differently. Some people have said, "Oh, that sounds sinister," you know, or, or ominous. And right. other people have been like, "Oh, that sounds promising or optimistic." And well, it's it's interesting because yeah. it tells you know whoever whoever's response to the title. Kind of says a lot, almost about their about their, their point of view. <laughs> you know, so, so it's curious. Yeah. It's, it's become a bit of a of a fucking experiment. <laughs> I mean, when I first heard it and first saw it and read a bit about you guys recording mm-hmm. in autumn last year at Abbey Road Studio Two, and a little bit about that, which we can get to, I I, mm-hmm. I felt that there wasn't, especially coming off of the last album, I definitely took it as a new a new beginning, and I love the word oh, celebration. Good. I also love the word endings because I think that there is, as you mentioned, in order to grow and even start a fresh, you know, freshly in a, in a new position mm-hmm. in any part of your life, whether that's career or home or family or whatever, you have to mm-hmm. end things. Things need to. Yes. And I feel like that's why humans hate the concept of dying. There's what's why like religion is something because they had to create this afterlife because yeah we can't accept accept it you know and although it's gut-wrenching I do feel like I'm not sure what else you talk about on the record but in terms of what you have released like on tiny indoor fireworks that's obviously Mm -hmm. much more it's much more direct 
you know it's a very yeah. melodically as well i do feel again it doesn't sound different from what i expected um mm-hmm. but i'm curious to find out what else you talk about so tell me about that um it said in my notes that i got from your team something about mm-hmm. sia and uh, uh rob mathis uh, ra- string oh, arranging yeah. for Bruce Springsteen and a 30-piece orchestra or something. So where does that... What happened? Tell me about that. Yeah, so so as a, like, I love throwing everything at the... We're, we're kind of a maximalist band, rather. We're, we ain't the XX. We're not like a minimal band. Mm-hmm. So so a, few, a couple of the songs in this record, one of the songs, which I probably think it's one of the best songs I've ever written, is called Cop Syrup. And like like cough cough syrup but cop and it's oh. the last song on the album it, it's it's seven minutes long wow. and it's it's up it starts off as the most aggressive kind of punk rock song but it's a punk rock song with wah wah pedals on it which is which who does that no one wants wah wahs in a punk rock song which is exactly why we did it and then it has this big it has this big four minute symphonic break in the middle of it and it's it's one of the pieces of music that I'm most kind of proud of having written and. We so this song was just crying out. It needed a fucking orchestra. So we ended up getting in touch with a couple of different composers. We met Rob Mattis, who's done a bunch of stuff, mainly the Springsteen stuff's incredible, but he's made a couple of beautiful solo records actually. And he just, you know, you're never quite sure what angle a composer or a scorer is going to come from. Some of them are quite traditional, more used to like big. Like they, they're maybe less excited by the more avant-garde stuff, and some people love the craziness and don't want to do like the ballad. So, so we get Rob to do a little bit of everything. So we've we've got like a song with Rob that almost called Space that almost sounds like it could be a Disney theme tune. It's one of the the prettiest prettiest songs I've probably ever kind of composed, and it's so sweet. It's almost like sickly sweet, but it's meant to be like that. And then there's a song, the cop syrup is the most abrasive song in the record. It's got one of my favourite lyrics, which kind of defines what the album is for me. And it's, I've been punching rainbows since 79. You know, and, it, and it's, it's just a bit, it's like, this is who I am. I don't do everything right. I, want, I aspire to hope to be a decent person. I want to do right for, for my fellow humans. But you know what? I, I'm fucking being around. So yeah, this is what I think. And that... That's almost the defining lyric in the record. Um, there's, there's like, there was a couple of long-term um, professional relationships that came to an end for us as well, like, like 15-year relationships, and and that was so intense. See, when you have such a deep-rooted relationship, the three of us had had utmost trust with two different people in two different circumstances, and and it just felt like. Everything, every bit of trust we'd put into this person, they were just, just gone. They just, yeah, they they just wow. they kind of betrayed us without without they didn't care. It was just without. I'm not going to get into the exact details because I don't want to throw the person under the bus. But it was just the most explicit moment of oh my god, this 15 years has been a, a lie. You know, it wasn't. You know, it's like we've been having a different conversation for 15 years. So there's a, a couple of songs on it that about which again is the extension of feeling like we're in this moment in the world where we have to kind of almost cut our losses and move forward because this is not, if you're not getting anything out of it, either of you, and it's just this like malignant kind of situation, 
then you're better off out of it. You know, you don't, there's, you can't always fix everything. And that's what I've learned as, as I've gotten older is you can't always fix every relationship you have. You can't always make everything work out for the best. Some things you, you just have to accept, well, this isn't going to work, so we need to move I on. Know. Oh, you it's know, so and, hard sometimes, though. It's like any, it, you feel hard. like a failure, even if somebody has hurt you, and I'm sorry to hear about any sort of relationships kind of crumbling, If but if they're toxic, mm. you you don't want that in your life anyway. No. But, you know, things, you have to mourn it as well. And so it you're sounds like you did right. that through the through you, just writing. That was yeah. it. it. It was this, this was, there is a level of kind of mourning a couple of relationships and I guess mourning the things that I cherished and, in, in, you know, like, as I was saying earlier, in society, like empathy and, and fucking, and just love and honesty. Like there's, there's a few things that I felt like I had to come to terms with that were not what I thought they were. But wanting to move through it, there's um, there's another song. The third song in the album is called Weird Leisure, and it's about one of my friends who just went through a really tough few years. He just got really heavily into drugs, got really his his world closed closed down to a really small. He basically ended up alienating all his friends, and it became all about his just getting wanting to get fucked up all the time, and it really it altered his personality. And in this that song. It's about me trying to kind of get through to him. And fortunately, he has. You know, he's, he's now a dad and that. And he's, he's got his life together and he's doing oh, much better. Amazing. He still has little little moments of, of slippage as we all do. You know, whenever we battle with something, it's not, you can never quite put it entirely in your rear view. You still, have to, you still have to see it in your rear view, even though you hope it's not there all the time. But he's doing much greater now. But it was just... You know, like, so that song was about just letting your life pass you by. You know, sitting literally inside living a life when everything else is going is passing you by you know your your family your friends and and you know and, and don't get me wrong I've, I've had my t- struggles with little things like that you know i don't think anyone that's tours in the road loads and loads has not attempted to kind of numb themselves in some way but 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 i do think even the title of that song weird leisure you know take taking drugs as a way to 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 make yourself feel better is weird this Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod. And generally, just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.